Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Go Bold. I'm your host, Jody Atariwala. In our last episode, we spoke with Major Brett Parker of the Royal Canadian Air Force. He is currently serving as the boss, that's Snowbird 1, of the world-famous Snowbirds Air Demonstration Team. In this episode, the boss will tell us about the team and how they train and how they put on shows for spectators across Canada and beyond. Let's jump into it. So, uh, Brett, now let's shift over to what you're doing today. And uh, in effect, this is nothing <laughs> nothing new for you. Uh, you are the boss, uh, which is new. You are the boss for the 2022 Snowbirds Air Demonstration Team. Congratulations, by the way. That's awesome. Uh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but you are no stranger to the team. Uh, tell me a little bit about your history with the Snowbirds. Um, yeah, so I was fortunate enough to be successful uh, to make the team back in uh, 2010. So uh, I was on the Snowbirds from 2011 to 2014 for my show season. Um, that was my first stint. And then um, I ended up coming back to the squadron uh, one year earlier than for the boss job. Uh, so last year I filled in uh, as a wingman again. So <laughs> Uh, so yes, yeah, so I've had a, a few a few years to the squadron and flying in different positions. Yeah, and you mentioned the positions that you flew in. You were in. I've flown now in one jet, two jet, three jet, five jet, and seven jet. <laughs> Holy smokes! Okay, so do you have to put in to be on the Snowbirds team, or are you selected or asked to be? How does that uh, work? No, you have to apply. Uh, okay. So we, we put out a message uh, soliciting uh, any interested applicants. And so you have to uh, submit your name that you're interested for a tryout. And then uh, uh, if you get selected, we bring you to the squadron, uh, run, um, you know, run, run the tryouts uh, sequence uh, with everybody. And then uh, depending on how things go, we uh, decide on from there uh, who we'd be basically looking to bring, bring to the team. Okay, interesting. Uh, so what was the impetus behind you um, wanting to join the Snowbirds or applying? Uh, again, like it was a similar thing from uh, back as a childhood uh, dream. Like um, it kind of ran in parallel between wanting to be a fighter pilot and, and being on the Snowbirds. Uh, you know, my, my ceiling had all the model fighter jets that I built as a kid and my, and my walls were plastered with uh, uh, snowbird posters with, they're all signed by all the pilots. So awesome. <laughs> kind of a combo platter of, uh, of, of the two of them, to be honest. That's great. So, so when you first got selected to the team, that again, must've been such an awesome day uh, to hear that news. Um, tell me what it was like in the, in, from your first time flying with the snowbirds, because I'm trying to build a picture to see how the snowbirds have changed or evolved or what's different uh, now versus when you first joined the team. Um, to be honest, I don't think there's really that much uh, difference to be honest. Um, we've uh, you know, we've got like a, a binder, if you will, of about 150 different formations and sequences that we have flown historically over the last 50 years of the squadron being in existence. And, uh, you know, we try and um, there are there are some sequences that I, you know, say are kind of more of like your basic skills that ideally that, because uh, it's all about transferring, 
you know, retaining some of that uh, corporate knowledge, right? Because um, your time on the team is it's finite, you know, it's not you don't stay on the team for forever, you only come here for a, a period of time. I, right. I just kind of happened to be in, in the right place at the right time. Um, and to, had the opportunity to come back and do a few extra uh, seasons that's not normally characteristic. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's important for us to, you know, to ensure that we have the corporate knowledge uh, going through, but we otherwise, you know, try and keep to the, you know, different formations, but, you know, similar philosophy when it comes to like show design and hopefully the, uh, the show in the end, the end result makes everybody proud of what we do and, and to be Canadian and everything like that. Yeah, absolutely. So tell me a little bit about the, uh, the tutor jet. How would you describe it in terms of a, um, it used to be a trainer, a jet trainer, but now it is solely a Snowbirds um, aircraft in the Royal Canadian Air Force. So yeah. talk to me a bit about it in terms of being a air demonstration aircraft. Um, I mean, it's for what we employ it with right now, it's, it's amazing for the type of show that we try and portray and, and put on for people. You know, everybody likes to compare us, you know, the apples and oranges, right? Just like fighter planes. Well, what fighter plane is better? And, and you know, you, you get, it's the same thing when it comes to demonstration teams. Like, oh, well, you have the Blue Angels and the Thunderbirds and the Snowbirds and which one's better. And, mm-hmm. and um, you know, it's the Tudor was um, when it first came out, you know, back in the 60s and Canada Air built it and kind of said, hey, why don't you guys go with this? And obviously the RCF um, took it and used it for, 40 years pretty much as the primary pilot training airplane. And it was very effective uh, for what it was originally designed for. And like you said, for training um, mm-hmm. team obviously took it on board and, you know, the, the one drawback, as I said, with the Hornet is that it's underpowered and you, know, you kind of say the tutor is underpowered, but in a way it's a bit of its charm to a degree because, because we're not flying as fast. We, we, we give the impression like we are, cause we still make a lot of noise, but we're actually not flying as fast, which means allows us to keep the show a lot closer uh, to the crowd and gives them a different experience. And, and that's why, you know, when we get into that, who's better, it's like, well, it's like comparing apples and oranges. It's, it's a, it's a display, but they're, di- they're different by virtue of so many things. So. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things that I love about the Snowbirds is in comparison to those two particular teams that you mentioned, the Thunderbirds and the Blue Angels, um, you're a nine ship formation versus six aircraft. Yeah. And, and it just seeing the little twinkling headlights when all, all nine aircraft are formed up, um, it's beautiful. It, 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 and I would say and I would love to hear your thoughts about how you characterize the Snowbirds' performances, but I tend to think of it as an aerial ballet as opposed to raw power, which those other teams seem to be a little bit more like they they obviously have a ballet to them as well. But uh, but to me, it just seems the Snowbirds really kind of um, have a corner on that market. Yeah, I mean, if we talk about like the other two teams, I mean, they, they have like frontline fighters, right? That are that are being utilized uh, to do that that demonstration, and you know, arguably part of that demonstration is also showing the capability of that that airplane, um, right? Versus, uh, you know, the the Tudor was, you know, when I was, you know, I went to air shows as a kid, and you know, you, you'd have a Tudor on the static line, or maybe you know, one of the Snowbird jets were on the static line, and 
you go up to it and they'd be kind of like, you join the military, you will fly this airplane. And you go back not that far, not that long ago. And every single pilot that's gone in the military has flown the tutor. Like everybody had right. to have flown the tutor at some point, even if you went and became a helicopter pilot for your primary career, you would have flown the tutor to get, you know, that initial kind of aptitude and assessment of becoming a military pilot. So yeah, it's not, it's not frontline, but it doesn't, doesn't need to be. Um, right. Yeah, totally. And, and that's, and that's the show that, that was the show that was designed back in basically 1971. And we still obviously endeavor to purvey that message and put on that demonstration of, you know, we, we still have the same expectation as far as like demonstrating the skill professionalism and teamwork of the Canadian forces um, that add a bit of acting as ambassadors to Canada. Anytime we get the opportunity to go stateside um, it's a very, um, you know, so it's been a very rewarding opportunity to do and, and um, yeah, so we do it with nine airplanes instead of six. Um, it ha- it does come with its own challenges. Obviously, more airplanes, there's more possibilities for things to break or whatever. But um, that's just part of doing the business of what we have. Mm-hmm. Um, do you ever kind of sit back and think those pictures that I had on my wall of the snowbirds are the same jets I'm flying now? And I don't say that is a negative thing. I just think that is super cool to to be like, those planes might be the same ones I'm flying in. Yeah, I uh, I do wish uh, my my wish my mom had maybe some of those posters still, um, you know, maybe just put into a drawer somewhere just to see and uh, go back and see if there's any tail tail numbers that were on my wall that I've I had to actually have in my logbook now. Should be kind of pretty cool. I I think it's cool. I know there's you know there's lots of commentary about the age of the airplanes and whatnot and. But you know what the uh, the guys and gals that work on these airplanes they look after them like to you know it's like having a a classic car right you look mm-hmm. after it and it gets regular oil changes and you know it gets fixed and it it gets left in heated hangers and um, you know it gets babied and it gets looked after and so why wouldn't it still be just as good as when it first came out of the manufacturing role, you know, and, and it is, um, don't get me wrong and nothing's perfect. It is a machine and things break, but, uh, by and large though, uh, the serviceability rate of it and its reliability is like second to none. Yeah. Well, it's, it's awesome. What the snowbirds uh, pull off year upon year is awesome. And uh, for sure, you're right. Anything that gets older is going to be a little bit more I guess have some more challenges to maintain, but boy, the snowbirds put up beautiful shows year long uh, and uh, year upon year, um, which is a testament to the aircraft and to the maintainers and to the pilots and the design. Right. Yeah. And I think also for the show, I mean, uh, you'd be amazed like the, the number of requests we get, especially down in the United States is unbelievable. Uh, We literally could probably have a, a schedule that's filled for 20 years of just doing shows down in the States. If you looked at the number of requests that come wow. in to have wow. us go down there, they absolutely love having the team. Um, they enjoy the display. They enjoy the, you know, what it, the differences of what it has and, you know, and, and, and we take pride of take pride in that. And I think we should not just on the squadron, but just even within the, uh, uh, RCAF, the Canadian forces, and just as Canadians, like that's all part of what this job is all about and, and the messaging that we employ. Totally. Totally. Um, so how does that work? How does a show 
season get built up? Like, how do you decide where you end up going? Uh, like the schedule itself? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, again, like most of it, uh, like a lot of the um, air show um, places will have to submit a request. Um, so, you know, basically um, a location decides, you know what, I want to have an air show. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's the first thing, decide to have an air show. And then the second one is, okay, now who do you want to have at your air show? And there's a, you know, there's a, a way that you go about it and paperwork that you'd submit effectively to, you know, the air force command and say, I want to have the snowbirds at my air show. Mm-hmm. And that gets put into, you know, the file and, and then uh, effectively it eventually makes its way to the squadron. And, um, you know, I, I, I sat down with a couple of our coordinators, even for this year's, uh, this season's show. And uh, even, we even had a, a couple of looks for even next year as well. Um, and, you know, we just start building it from there. There's going to be some of your annual shows that typically run every year, like uh, the CE in Toronto and Abbotsford and stuff like that. But we also try and share the love as well, like as much as we can. We can't, unfortunately, be everywhere. Right. Um, and that's part of the, you know, I guess part of the drawbacks with the airplane. I mean, it, it only flies, you know, roughly about 350 miles on a tank of gas. So, our country being as big as it is, it can be a long, long time to go from one coast to the other coast and back and forth and back and forth. And um, it makes it a little bit more challenging. So part of that uh, also depends on the, on the region, right? So we'll try and build the show, um, our show schedule around kind of geographic places so that we're not spending an inordinate amount of time in and out of an airplane, right? Just puts hours on the jet and then you run the risk of, you know, breakages along the way, et cetera, et cetera. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, so we, we try and be smart with it um, to try and maximize our efficiency and, but also, um, you know, to get out as, you know, in the a geographic area as much as we possibly can. So typically it sets up, you know, um, usually start down in the States just to get things going. Cause normally it's still pretty cold up in Canada when the air show season is not starting up. Uh, so mm-hmm. we usually try and kind of wet our whistle with something down in the States. And then uh, usually by the beginning of June, most places in Canada have started to commit to shows and usually the weather is at a predictable time then that they can run one, run a show with reasonable expectation that it's going to be successful. And, and then, yeah. And then we're good from June till well, nowadays, usually till, you know, end October, we, we, you know, the weather is usually pretty good. It's more of the overnight temperatures that can sometimes be a bit chilly, but mm-hmm. usually the daytime stuff is okay. Wow. That's awesome. Um, so this year, how many shows have you guys got in the States before you start up in Canada? Uh, well, we've, um, because of a lot of our, uh, our training, um, deficiencies that we've encountered this year, um, we've had weather issues, um, even COVID, (laughs) um, you name it, it's kind of, it seems like if there's something that was going to adversely affect the team in some regard, it it seems to have reared its ugly head at times. And we made the decision early. We had an initial schedule that had three American shows to, to start the season off and, uh, we unfortunately had to make the difficult call of, of, of canceling them just based on the, on the likelihood of us not being um, ready to go, um, mm-hmm. which was obviously a smart call because we otherwise would have been doing our acceptance show in three days. And, uh, you know, mm-hmm. I'm grounded for the next three days still with COVID. So, um, yeah, unfortunately, it, it just it is what it is. We, we don't obviously like to do that if we can obviously avoid it. But 
Uh, so we lost a couple of shows, uh, three shows in the beginning of the season, um, but we still have our end season shows. Uh, so we've got three down in the States to close out the air show season this summer. Okay. Um, so you mentioned COVID. It's the reality that we're all living in in this day and age. So I'm sorry to hear that you have COVID. I hope you're feeling okay and doing okay. And uh, yeah, oh yeah, I mean, that's just unfortunately, it's just it is what it is. I mean, we still do do our best to practice like proper PHMs and stuff like that. But nowadays, with everything being wide open, it's it's tough to be able to other than putting yourself in a hazmat suit or in a little bubble and ensuring that you never ever touch anything and you know you do your best best as the best that you can i mean i guess i could say it's since covid's been around it's taken two years for me to get it so <laughs> right um, <laughs> it's just unfortunate it's not the best timing but it is what it is yeah yeah so you are currently in your workup phase uh for the 2022 air show season so how does that whole training syllabus work talk me through forming up the team you get you get the pilot selected and then and then what happens because i'm kind of getting towards things like issues like covid you know if if you like yourself right now you're you're down with it so how does that affect the team how does that affect training but i guess wrap it all into like how how training is done for for an air show season um yeah so i mean training uh we probably half of our training season, uh, like in the off season. So right now usually just goes into building what we call the mechanics. Um, just, you know, it's all about repetition, right. And repetition, mm-hmm. repetition, repetition. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, when we talk with people at air shows, they just don't understand oh, how, how do you do that? And it's like, well, because we practice, right. Really hold right. the whole practice makes perfect. And that's, we practice and we fly a lot and we yeah. do a lot of them and it's repetition after repetition after repetition. Um, I, I should say that you guys are home-based at Canadian Forces Base Moose Jaw. So I, I suspect that training initially starts there and then... Oh, yes. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, usually our new pilots are... Uh, like, we, we'll close out the season um, mid-October. Uh, usually the guys that are... the Sorry, the team members that are coming back for the following season will get a couple weeks off. And then more or less the beginning of November is when the next training session starts, if you will, for the next season. So okay. we, have about, we have about a six month run uh, with all of the new pilots that have joined the team. And it starts with mechanics and building mechanics, uh, building a lot of the, the snowbird um, uh, ROEs, like our rule, our normal rules of engagement, if you will, like the RT, how we speak on the radio, emergency handling, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then during that whole course of time, like I enjoy doing like show design. Like I did, I was a training officer when I was on the team before. And so when I I had time to last year, when I was flying as a seven, I thought, well, I've got time now. I might actually just sit down and see if I could piece together a show sequence. That would be kind of, you know, kind of fun to do. And um, yeah. And so, you know, I'd be in my PMQ and I managed to find a bunch of old archive videos from years back. And I literally spent hours and hours of watching old snowbird shows and it was quite interesting there's several of them that i was watching i was actually there as a kid and i'm watching it i was watching it you know in my living room again i'm like i was at that show i was at that show um you know 25 years ago wait a minute if i'm 25 how could i be in there 25 years dating myself Um, but uh yeah so i just you know started looking at sequences um being mindful that you know we have four new pilots plus myself as a new boss you know managing expectations as far as training is concerned 
I wasn't expecting this many challenges in the off season, but uh, it is what it is. I mean, we're still, we're, we're so close to be able to have everything all together. And uh, um, yeah, so I, I just basically built a timeline of things and, you know, a, a list of, of maneuvers that I thought would be kind of fun to, to do that the guys would have fun uh, training too. And we spend the next six months getting all those sequences pieced together. And um, that's kind of where, you know, where Colmox has typically been our bread and butter, where we have a chance to come to the, a new base. We're deployed away from Moose Jaw, but we typically get the base, uh, which um, had been a challenge um, previously with, with Moose Jaw because our normal operating area is about 25 miles to the south in Mossbank. Oh, okay. Um, but recently now, like with the a changement with how the, uh, the training uh, gets done in Moose Jaw, we've actually been able to get more base time, which has been fantastic that the big two has been able to uh, give us that opportunity from time to time. So great. Um, Cause that's what we miss is that, you know, as much as it doesn't seem like a big deal, but a 25 mile transit each way, you know, eats up about 300 to 350 pounds of gas. And that equates to, you know, roughly depending on your power setting can be anywhere from eight to 10 minutes worth of otherwise practicing sequences. Mm -hmm. Um, So working over the base, we can get airborne quickly. We do our quick shakeout and we'll be right into loops and you haven't wasted 200 pounds going out to the South. So um, it makes a a big difference. Um, that's been, that's been really helpful. How did that change? Like what, what exactly happened at the base to, to allow this? Uh, I think it's just been that, um, they typically had like, uh, the wave structure, how they're running their, their flying wave structure. Mm -hmm. They've amended it so that they've got, I'm not sure if there's must be more airplanes flying. Um, they've lost, they've lost a wave in there somehow. So the reason there was, it would occupy so much time during the day. Mm -hmm. Um, and now it's, it's been reduced, but there's still that, you know, if you kind of say, here's our normal, you know, the tower is open for 10 hours. Mm -hmm. Uh, we normally would use all 10 hours, but for whatever reason, now we're only using eight and a half or we can get everything in in eight and a half hours. Well, there's still an hour and a half window there of tower opportunities. Like, Oh, can we have that slot? And they've got to go, well, yeah, the tower's open, might as well. So, of course, we jump on that. And sweet. We've been, you know, it's been great with getting that opportunity to do that in this job. So, mm-hmm. that, that is awesome. Um, so, in going through these old films, and, and as you mentioned, you've got a binder full of about 150 routines. Um, how have you? developed this year's show routine what what has kind of been your um your thought process of what you've wanted to develop for the team um well I always look back to uh like even through the team like what did I enjoy as a kid right, right. what did sure. I enjoy people like splits right splits yep. and, and uh splits are probably one of the bigger highlights uh for what the team gets your oohs and ahs and you know we listen to we watch obviously our videotapes after every every show and you can listen to the crowd and you know you you get an appreciation for what sequences people like more than others sure um so yeah i i approached the season with the intention of doing a lot of splits uh the one nice thing about splits is that they're relatively easy to train to um so from a training perspective when you look at again if you start running into you know shortcomings on training well a split is easy to train to so if we do get short on timing we should still be able to do it. Um, so you get the benefit of the crowd enjoying it. You get the ease of training to it. So those are two really nice little nuggets. That's that in my opinion, splits are nice for. Right. Um, the other aspect is that I also wanted to just 
change a little bit of how the presentation happened a little bit, um, just to just to do something different. Um, like when I was on the team the last time, we we typically have like an opener and then a, uh, an integrated and then a closer, right? There's kind of like, here's the nine plane and then the nine plane splits and we've got a bunch of stuff happening in the middle and then the nine plane gets together and then we do a last bit there to finish out the show. Okay. And then, you know, and part of that video review is just seeing, is there other times where they've done something different? Just, you know, sometimes, sometimes a bit of old is the new new. Sure. Right. right. Yeah, 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 totally. You know, why yeah. not pull something that's maybe hasn't been done for a while and just kind of go, well, it's not actually new. It's just something we haven't done for a while. But to a lot of people, they go, oh, my gosh, I haven't seen that done for a long time. Or maybe I've never seen it been done at all. Exactly. Yep. And and so I kind of took that approach, not not with the intention to completely reinvent the book again, because uh, knowing where we were going to be with with the, uh, the status of the team and obviously myself uh, having to learn profiles and whatnot, you know, again, you just have to be honest where, where I thought, you know, the sequences were at, what sequences what I, was I looking to have in there mm-hmm. and what, it, what is the implications if we don't, you know, maybe have enough time to train to one or the other. So I, I tried to make a good balance, a good mix of, of sequences in there. And I kind of went to the guys and I said, this is an idea. What do you guys think? And everybody went, I like it. Like, no, please go ahead. If you want to change something, like, oh, we like it. Let's go for it. Like, okay. So that's kind of what we did. So yeah, I, I, I took a, a bit of a, you know, a, a, a turn or I guess a, a bit of a pull from an old playbook, I suppose, mm-hmm. um, from how we currently have the show set up for this year. So, so describe for me this year's show routine. Um, oh, I, I can give away all the secrets. Come yeah. on. <laughs> You got to come out, you got to come out and see it for yourself. <laughs> All right. But you're not, so are you, uh, some of the stuff from old that you're going to bring back to new, um, I hope now I, I should be careful in how I say this, but I will just say one of my favorite routines that, that the snowbirds does, I think is called the battle of Britain maneuver, um, or sequence, um, I asked your predecessor last year about it and he goes, it's actually one of the easier routines because he goes, there's really nothing to it. He goes, it's just all the jets following one after the other kind of doing their own thing. And, and I didn't really think about it that way until he mentioned it. But the thing I love about it is I love seeing aircraft. I I love seeing a lot of aircraft and I love seeing them in all different, I don't want to say maneuvers because they're all it, it, but Ah, in all different aspects. You like splits. Yeah, I I do. I do indeed. There's like lots of smoke lines. There's lots of movement. There's airplanes going all around. Exactly. That's why the battle, and I, uh, don't get me wrong, the Battle of Britain is one of our, one of the more favorite maneuvers. And the, the interesting thing, the Battle of Britain was originally designed just to be something that we could just easily transition into a landing sequence and it was just one of these random things like well let's just fly around and make some smoke lines in the sky but conveniently we'll just end up on the downwind to land right Uh, and and it just kind of went from there and people just went bananas about it because you have this thing that's happening and there's just random smoke lines it just it looks kind of absurd and (laughs) a bit outside the normal right when you kind of go at least guys pride themselves of being like close formation and then all of a sudden let's just blow the wheels off of it and airplanes just go all over the place and it's almost like you know oh the boss has just allowed all the wingmen to just do, decide to do whatever they wanted to just for fun just because right right um so i i 
I'm not surprised. I mean, that's, uh, I, I can totally see. And I would, you know, back in the day, I would probably take exactly the same liking to it as well. Um, yeah. I, I I love to do photography. So for me to see a bunch of aircraft in a single frame, if I think of it from a photograph perspective, um, all in different aspects of maneuvering uh, is just super, super cool. I love that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyways, uh, I guess I will find out if it is in this year's routine when I see the routine. But uh, well, there's the nice thing about it is that it, it typically happens at the end of the show. Right. And, yeah. You know, just like every show, there's there's multiple ways that we can finish the show. Sure. Um, and the battle, the battle, battle of Britain is always in it's in that's an that's an easy win. Right. Um, yes. A lot of times Battle of Britain is usually dependent on one if we're landing at that show site because um, there's quite you know there's quite a few show sites this year that we're doing it uh, from a, another satellite field okay right so we may not have the gas we just may not have enough time or gas to be able to do all of the sequences so we may have sure. to decide which ones we're going to do or maybe you know saturday we show this part sequence and on sunday we do this sequence right, right. and yeah. you know, maybe someone says ah i saw battle of britain on sunday i didn't see it on saturday <laughs> and then you get all the bickering and complaining going on it's like i'm sorry we don't have enough gas to show at all but right <laughs> um, it is what it is <laughs> well that just means you got to come out both days right <laughs> exactly right then you gotta come out because you never know you never know exactly never in suspense yeah um how long uh, do you expect this year's show routine to, to be? It's, it's usually about 20 ish, 25. Minutes. I'm, I'm hoping I I'm, I'm striving for 30 minutes. Like awesome. smoke on, smoke off, 30 minutes. Um, I know there's been, you know, there's the discussion like, wow, you gotta be shorter. And wow, where are people getting from it? And again, personally, I've always taken the approach from, if you look at like movies or anything like that and you go, were you entertained? Yes. Was it entertaining? Right. Yes. Then it doesn't really matter how long it is because yeah. right? now what movies are two and a half hours long, but yeah. are you entertained? Right. right. Um, it totally. goes by like that. Yes. And then you go, I really enjoyed that show because there was something going on and I guarantee you 30 minutes will go by in a heartbeat, especially if you've got, you know, good cueing the jets are on stage when i want them to be you've got music that connects you to something right. uh, you know what i mean and it's just this constant like on off on off on off i guarantee you the show will be over before you know it and you go oh my gosh how long was that show it's irrelevant i basically say totally. it actually is irrelevant if we've okay. done our job if i've done my job slash you know the training house job we've done our job correctly where we've built this show that tries to give something happening it's just on 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 mm -hmm. on on with you know there's parts in the script where we will slow it down on purpose you know mm -hmm. like our our heart sequence it's always a nice thing to be able to put the heart in the sky and then put a dedication out there right that's, nice, uh, that's one of the nice touches i think is really nice even if it's just going to either an individual or to an organization or just you know just showing someone that we're thinking about them it goes a long way right just to connect um, so, you know, we have those like points where we can slow it down and have that little bit of connect and go, oh, and then we, you know, pick it back up again and, you know, split, 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 and solos, whatever. And then, boof, you know, and then another nine plane split and then the show's done. And hopefully people are like, uh, are they done? More, 
more. Well, they're done. Right? Yeah, right. More, right. more, more, more. Yeah, I was like, well, yeah. sorry, man. It's been, you know, it's been yeah. 30 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, that's my, my personal opinion is that now, again, I, I, as a kid going to an air show, uh, I, I couldn't get enough of the snowbirds. The snowbirds yeah. could fly for hours and hours and I would never complain about it. Oh, um, same here. So same I think here. it's just totally dependent on the individual. Don't hear other people going, ah, you gotta be shorter. You gotta be that. I'm like, no, me, it's all about the entertainment part. If it's, yeah. it's interesting and, and I'm, I want to have a show that keeps people on their toes. Mm-hmm. You know, there may be, there may or may not be not to give everything away. There may or may not be those purposeful arrivals of airplanes that aren't announced. It just, they show up, right. Just right. To kind of, yeah. And, you know, you talk, you know, you reach back and those are some of the things that you gain from some of the other teams, you know, um, having re, you know, had the chance to watch the blues and the Thunderbirds uh, again, after not being around them for about five years. And, you know, you get the sneak passes from an F-16 that just, you know, rockets everyone's eardrums and stuff. And, yeah. you know, we don't really have that kind of power and noise, but we, I can certainly put jets on stage that still make noise and right. it still, I think will have the same effect. Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, I can attest. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So I think if, if I can get the script the way that I have envisioned it, I think Mm -hmm. it's going to be one of those type of fast paced shows. So when you say how long I ran it in, well, notwithstanding, I've done lots of practicing with it on the, on our virtual reality stuff. And um, I've been able to kind of, if I run the ground tracks that I'm hopeful will be similar, it'll be roughly about a 30 minute show. Beautiful. Beautiful. I love it. I, I, I'll soak in all 30 minutes of it every time. Hey, everybody. I'd like to take a quick minute to thank our sponsor, Cubic Mission and Performance Solutions. Cubic plays such an important role in training our allied warfighters. So since inventing air combat maneuvering instrumentation, or ACMI, in the early 1970s, Cubic continues to lead the industry as the world's foremost provider of air combat training systems. So air crews from the United States and allied partners, they rely on Cubic systems to prepare for combat missions more effectively and with less risk. So I encourage you to take a look at their website. Um, they're an amazing company, and they are a wonderful partner to this podcast. Please visit them at cubic.com. Thanks, everybody. Um, now let's get back to our show. So you just mentioned virtual reality. Uh, that's something new that I've not heard in the context of the Snowbirds. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, it was just an initiative that um, the squadron has taken on to acquire some um, some virtual reality chairs. Uh, so we have five units uh, with the intention is, I guess, kind of more of a test to a degree. Um, it's still in a way in its infancy, I suppose. But, you know, when we talk about are there ways that we can maybe use simulators and stuff like that to enhance our training, that really is, I think, where this is going to eventually go. Because, um, you know, you can have your cockpit there, you can have your switches there. Um, again, can you do a lot of emergency training in it? Maybe yes, maybe no. Maybe just, you know, habit forming things like this. These are what the switches do. Mm-hmm. It doesn't fly the same way as the airplane, but I think there are some advantages to it that do help. And so as part of my uh, off-season uh, development, I guess, was that I, I, I told the individual who's our project, our main project guy, I said, I'll tell you what, I, 
I'll try and use the virtual reality chairs as much as I can okay. um, and, and practice and see where, where do I see there being benefits for it? And maybe, you know, we kind of go, that's just like anything else, right? It's a trial period. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, I've, you know, if you say how many shows, if I went, if I just by myself, how many shows have I flown? I mean, Crips, I've been, I've been quite a nerd. I've got like the timing of it on my phone, kind of like timing myself and trying to go, yeah, if I can get oh, that, that was a, that was a 30 minute and 40 or 30 minutes, 46 second show. If we can get that, that'd be awesome. Um, but you know, like little things like, uh, maybe using virtual reality to assist with, um, you know, geographic, um, uh, recognition stuff. You know, usually when we show up to a new show site, we'll do what we call a recce over the field and look at, you know, different lines and different inserts and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. you know, maybe virtual reality might be a good way to do that. Assuming that you've got a good updated system, like a Google maps based system. And then you, you know, go, okay, let's go to Ottawa airport. Whoop, and you go to Ottawa airport and you look around and, okay, we're going to be operating off of that runway. And oh, that tree line is going to be over there. And that's going to be over there. That's you know, pretty cool. Yeah, I could see some benefits from it from that standpoint. It's still mm-hmm. not going to be fine. It doesn't fly like the airplane right. um, per se, but yeah, it's it's still something that we have and it's a bit in its infancy, if you will. Um, but you know, I, I think now that we have it, try and see if we can explore it a little bit more. And we also have our our friends with the the virtual snowbird um, group that. You know, uh, I had the pleasure of meeting a few of the guys back uh, when I was on the team last time. Mm-hmm. And um, I actually watched one of their performances, you know, where they were when COVID was on its peak, they were still doing their little virtual air shows. And uh, a friend of mine said, hey, you want to go watch the virtual snowbirds? And I said, well, why not? So I just logged on there and, you know, and they've got everything exactly as we do. They've got their narrators, they've got their pilots and the guys are all in there from all over the place. I think there was like three Americans and a guy from Columbia. No that kidding. Was like virtual snowbirds. Yeah. Like it was just kind of a, it was just an, it was an interesting experience. And then, you know, you see them move along and, you know, the airplanes are kind of moving around and, you yeah. know, the airplane would disappear every once in a while, probably because his, you know, his, his, uh, his, his internet is intermittent <laughs> or whatever, but right. Right. I, you know what, they're, they're passionate about it. And you know what they're, they're doing, they're doing something that they enjoy and that, Clearly there's, there's an audience for it because it, they're still around and there's like virtual blue angels, there's virtual thunderbirds, there's all virtual teams just about everywhere. So, wow. Yeah. So Brett, it, it, we've talked about, uh, we've talked about the demonstration team this year and, uh, and some of the, some of the challenges that you guys have had COVID. Um, have there been any other kind of challenges that have cropped up along the way? Um, probably the biggest one has been weather, <laughs> to be honest. Right. Um, yeah, we just, we've had one of those, one of those winters where mother nature couldn't decide whether she wanted to freeze or thaw. And so she decided she'd just do it every 24 hours. Oh no. Or, you know, or, or we'd, you know, we'd, we'd thaw for 24 and then, uh, and then rain would come along and then we'd freeze. And then of course that rain has been turned into ice. And then we'd go into like sub-zero temperatures, like really sub-zero temperatures. Now that ice is next to impossible to get off. Um, so which then gets us into, you know, snow and ice removal stuff, uh, issues at the base. So yeah, I mean, uh, unfortunately it, 
it is what it is. There's a lot of things that are outside our scope of control, unfortunately, but needless to say, um, you, if you say, did this affect you? There are probably at some point it has, I mean, it just doesn't, it just seems to be a never ending thing. Um, unfortunately, but yeah. Right. We're right. here though. We'll be ready to, we'll be ready to go. Um, maybe. nice. We're, we're close. And just to retouch on the COVID thing, uh, I've I've seen actual show routines done where a plane is missing just because maybe somebody's had uh, you know a, a, a medical thing or or maybe a jet's down. That's yep. not uh, that's not uncommon. No, no. I think, I think that's pretty cool in the sense that it isn't a showstopper for you guys if that if something like that does happen. Yeah, I mean. Those that remember even just from last year, I mean, we had uh, one of our pilots, um, he, he broke his wrists, right, mm-hmm. when he was here in Comox and right. uh, pretty much yep. flew the first uh, month and a half of the show season with an eight plane. Um, and, you know, we, uh, we, we have all these contingencies that are built into our training plan. Uh, you know, what if, you know, uh, an inner is sick or what if a five is sick or what if one of the solos are sick? Or, mm-hmm. um, those are all part of our uh, what if scenarios. And because that could happen even during a show, right? Uh, maybe the jet goes US, maybe it's a bird or mm-hmm. whatever, right? Um, and then we have to be able to adapt to uh, to those um, those challenges and, and changes uh, as required. Um, so that ultimately we, we still are able to to give people a performance. I think it's awesome in the sense that, of course, nobody wants any of those things to happen, but I think it shows uh, resiliency within the team, but it also shows professionalism, Uh, uh, you know, as as you guys are professional, you know, military pilots. And it kind of occurred to me previously when we were talking about training and different communities, it's interesting that the snowbirds, you will have like rotary wing pilots as well as fixed wing pilots that are show, uh, snowbirds team members and pilots i think that's really cool yeah uh, i don't know if that's common in other teams of your size but i think it's pretty neat yeah i mean the other teams uh i think it's just by virtue of in this case the not to say that it's not complex but it, it certainly lacks it's certainly a lot i would say it's more basic than like an F-18 or F-16 or anything like that, right? The Tudor is, it's a pretty, I mean, like we said, it was originally based, built as a, as a pilot trainer. So it's supposed to be robust and relatively straightforward in order to operate. It's being able to operate it well, like to fly it well, was also part of its part. It's part of its charm, right? There's no, there's no computers. There's no anything on board. It's all bells and cranks, like old school, um, you know, um, airplane design and, and manufacture. And, um, so yeah, it's, uh, that's part of the, also part of the, I think the charm of our team as well is that we're able to extract pilots from different communities and show that other communities can have just as much of a, an impact with the team. Um, I'd say most of those guys and gals usually end up going either back to the school um, to just get a little bit of formation experience. I would say that like our team still does probably, um, um, you know, the, the candidates that typically are most successful come from single pilot cockpits. So, okay. you know, obviously fighters, uh, 
but also instructors as well. Because um, as an instructor at the school, you're teaching formation, right? You're teaching basic formation skills to stuff like that. And hopefully you're getting opportunity to practice your craft of what you're teaching, as we talked about before. Um, so yeah, so a lot of those guys and gals show up onto tryouts with a, a pretty good uh, skill set as well. And but there was one year, not that long ago, I think uh, six, I think six of the guys on the team were rotary guys. Oh wow! No kidding. Yeah, yeah. So like quite a quite a big compliment. Um, yeah. Maybe yeah. one fighter guy, and even be maybe even been seven. Um. Anyways. Um, oh, I think that's, that's, that's pretty cool actually to still be able to do that and take people from different communities and, and just show that across not just the RCAF, but also to just the, the community, right. That, um, you know, that's kind of how the Canadian uh, military pilot training system was originally designed. It's like, it's like, it's one, this is how you got to start. And then once you learn how to be a basic pilot, then you can branch off to your, you know, specifics, your specialties and stuff. So, right. Right. Um, kind of cool. Yeah. And you guys, obviously, as, as we mentioned, you, know, you, you fly your routine, but then there's all the other things that you do. And in the snowbirds, a big part of that is public relations, of course. And so I think having pilots from all different parts of the, of the Canadian, of the Royal Canadian Air Force is pretty cool because, a young person might be interested in rotary wing aircraft or another one might be interested in fighters. Well, you've got everybody represented pretty much. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Um, and, and they also have the, the stories and the credibility from doing it. And, you know, guys are over in Afghanistan on the Griffins to being on the back of uh, ships, flying sea Kings, obviously there's fighters. Um, uh, and we've also had multi-engine guys as well, right. Flying Aurora's flying Hercules, um, so yeah, so when the public meets these people and, and like you said, a, a, a young or old person that may or may not be looking for maybe a, a future career with the military, you know, you get those stories and get a bit more insight as to what, you know, a lifestyle of, of deciding to join the military might, might involve, might be, uh, might, might partake in. Mm-hmm. So, well, that's why I love doing this podcast is I get to speak with people from all different backgrounds and hear their journey. Uh, just like, you know, you've been kind enough to share and uh, I absolutely love it. It's uh, um, I feel very honored when people like you spend a little bit of time uh, with me. So I, I greatly appreciate it. Um, as we get close to closing out here, there's a couple of last things I'd like to ask about. And one is um you talked about technology and how it, it, the aircraft is, you know, steam gauges, you know, very basic and, and meant to be so because it's a trainer. But I believe there is a effort underway to upgrade the tutor. Um, tell me a little bit about that and kind of where that is and, and what, the, what the background uh, of it is. Um, yeah, so we, uh, this is our second upgrade now second maybe even third um but anyways uh yeah so the the cockpit is going to basically become more or less a glass cockpit uh so a lot of those uh, steam driven instruments are going to be removed it's going to look like a steam driven instrument but it's going to be almost just on a panel like okay. you would see like in a king air or something like that so it'll, it'll look like a steam driven instrument but it's actually going to be like a uh on a on a display you know like on a garmin or whatever right okay um, um but, uh, uh, you know, part of the challenges with an airplane that's, um, you know, that, it, that has, that is aging and whatnot is a lot of the times when 
when an instrument went broken, you'd go and say, oh, well, okay, let's go grab a part from one of the other, you know, 90 that are mothballed, you know, in Mountain Home or, or Mountain View, sorry. And, uh, and then you go get that piece, but eventually you'll run out over the course of time. Like if there's no manufacturing happening, eventually, you know, you'll run through parts and then it becomes a, do we just manufacture this or maybe we need to step into the next stage of, you know, what's, what's the next stage? And like, okay, well, here lies the, a glass cockpit that now, you know, just yeah, projects that, that instrument instead of actually having that raw instrument. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so we've, we've got that uh, going into, so it'll look very similar. Um, if you look at like a King Air 350 type of thing, that kind of setup, I okay. think it'll look somewhat similar to that. I haven't actually seen the final design yet, but I think it's going to be something similar to that. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and also, as, as you mentioned, you know, the, the technology, um, you know, we, we went through that phase where we were phasing out like TACANs and VORs and whatnot. Um, in favor of GPS, uh, and it's the same thing uh, with the um, the ADSB, which is of course the transition from uh, where air traffic control would be using radar in order to identify airplanes, mm-hmm. um, are transitioning now effectively to space and effective, you know, using like a G- GPS positioning, if you will, in order to provide um, you know a um, positive position. Uh, control over airplanes when they're flying in the sky. And that's effectively what that ADSB is. It's, it's a space-based program that gives you geographic positioning on it if on airplanes instead of using like a raw hit with a radar. Okay. So a lot of the uh, air, uh, like uh, the FAA down in the States and obviously in Canada, they're eventually going to be transitioning into utilizing this as their primary way to identify airplanes and provide, you know, deconfliction while airplanes are in the sky. So um, that's one thing that this glass cockpit is going to allow the tutor to be able to do is to be able to integrate into that system pretty seamlessly. So that helps that part as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it'll certainly help when you're traveling around uh, North America and, and what have you, but um, from, from an actual uh, uh, performance perspective, um, not going to change too much. Or, no. or anything really well i'm not i mean to be honest i mean uh, i'm i'm looking out the window when i'm flying the show i may have a look at the gps every once in a while but even then the gps breaks lock as soon as i do any kind of aerobatics so right um i'm looking out the window i'm looking for big features you know big medium small the big runway hopefully for right an air show um yeah i'm looking out the window and the guys are flying off of my wing or hopefully looking at me um so all that all that kit and caboodle inside the airplane during a show is not really that beneficial for the shows. Right. Um, right. But obviously we got to get to that show. So getting to that show, it obviously will be probably nice to have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you had mentioned to me that, uh, a little bit earlier that um, you might get some space saving out of it too within the aircraft. Yeah. So a lot of those, um, so we have like a tack and boxes and stuff like that, that are still some of the old, uh, navigational uh, systems that the Tudor originally had that are normally in the nose of the aircraft. So those mm-hmm. have seen the Tudor, we, we, we can lift the two gull wings up there and, you know, we've got a little bit of storage capacity in there. So guys will carry some of their gear in it, but a lot of that um, space on one side in particular is occupied by like the tack box and stuff. So when that tack box gets removed, 
because now we're not carrying a tack end anymore, that space is now going to be made available for other things. Um, so uh, hopefully, you know, we'll be able to, you know, maybe transition into being able to carry a, a few more things so we can kind of do what the snowbirds had always prided ourselves on from before. We're kind of like our own autonomous ops, right? We carry all of our own stuff and we do our own thing and we just make it happen, uh, which has always been the coolest thing. Yeah, I love that. Unlike other teams, you guys don't have support aircraft travel around with you, right? Typically, we don't. There's, you know, yeah, we've there's, you know, there's been a bit of a chat about maybe getting a support airplane uh, to assist us um, on probably more of like a need basis from time to time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I mean, I, I see this this upgrade for the jet is going to take, you know, probably by the time the whole fleet is done, I'm thinking a couple of years um, at least. So. Until all that space space saving, you know, upgrade has been completed, we still need to have some way to still move our stuff around. So, um, you know, hopefully we'll have some kind of support aircraft as required um, to help with that as 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 need be. I mean, mm-hmm. we've done our job with the schedule and stuff like that. I mean, going from Toronto to London, you know, one week and you know the one weekend is in Toronto and the next weekend's in London while well, it's just literally a drive down the 401. Right. Um, so that's a fairly easy transit. So we probably don't need too much support aircraft for that. Right. Right. Uh, <clears throat> is there any, any thoughts on what kind of support aircraft that might be like what, what that aircraft might, I don't type know. That might be? No. Yeah. I don't okay. know. Okay. Um, and is that something that could feasibly happen this year or would it be in coming years? Um, I think we would let, we would welcome the opportunity to have something as soon as possible, even mm-hmm. just from a uh, flexibility point of view, mm-hmm. uh, when, or if that's actually going to happen will remain to be seen. I mean, uh, worst case scenario is we've got, we still have our, our dedicated driver and our supply technician that are in that big truck. That's got that massive poster all over it and just waving the flag away everywhere it's going. So you know, they eventually will show up wherever we're going and, uh, you know, you can always put gear on that and then, and then get it at the other end as required. So, right. Um, right. There's always, there's always a workaround. So we'll sure. see, we'll see how the summer pans out. Okay. That's awesome. Uh, and, uh, with respect to the, uh, uh, every year there's a theme for the snowbirds. Oh, sorry. But before I go to that, any idea when the first upgraded jet might uh, like roughly when we're, when, you're thinking at sometime that. later this year. I don't know. I'm it's that stuff that's being tracked by uh, more like squadron op stuff. Um, sure. I'm, I'm not really, I'm not even on any discussion groups for that. Sure. Um, that's held at like the, the commanding officers level and above he'll, he'd have more of an idea of what's the expected timeline. Copy. But I'm going to guess probably later summer. Okay. Okay. Yeah, cool. For the first one. And then right. how long it'll take for subsequent ones to go through. Right. I don't know. Totally. Totally. I get it. Um, so it, let's talk about the theme for this year. And uh, and then that'll be a nice way to, to cap off this discussion. But every year, I believe there's a theme and uh, and there's usually some little sticker or something on the Snowbirds aircraft that depict something unique for each year. Uh, mm-hmm. So I'd be keen to know about uh, what what it is. Yeah, for this it's year. interesting you brought that up. I mean, it's uh I know we, we try and have a theme and a lot of times it will marry up even like with the F-18, right? It'll be kind of a, a uniform, you know, um, slogan or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was not really a lot of that discussion going on this year, to be honest. And okay. 
it was actually kind of refreshing to be honest. It was just almost nice to just kind of go, well, let's just, let's go out there and fly Air four, three, one air demonstration squadron snowbirds. Um, if you're going to say anything, I'd say maybe like on our truck and even like our, our poster this year, our public affairs officers done an awesome job with, um, I think if you're going to say what it'd be like, it'd almost be that coast to coast to coast, right? We're, we're Canada's team. We're, we're this country's team and we try and obviously get coast to coast to coast, but you know, it's sometimes not as easy to get up, up North as we would like, or even out, even over to the rock, which would be nice to get out there sometime soon. Sure. But at least, uh, you know, still wave the flag and feel like we're representing all of Canada and uh, we try as best as we can to try and see as many people as we can. And, um, but you know, that's where social media is great. Um, you know, we've got memberships on TikTok and Instagram and Facebook and you name it. We, I think we've got, I think uh, Gab is tied into that. So just trying to, you know, just even like what Opt Inspiration was like connect with as many Canadians as we can and make people proud. And um, so, yeah, I want to say, is there a message per se? I wouldn't say that's a full on one, um, but coast to coast to coast, 431 air demonstration squadron snowboards. That's what we're doing. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, well, hey, uh, it, before I, I conclude, I just want to ask, uh, are you are you going to be in this spot for for just this year or going to be a couple I know, of years? I, it's normally two years, so I'll be in this spot next year as well. Giddy up, man. Unless, hey, I, unless, I get, unless I get fired. Right. <laughs> no, you won't. <laughs> that is awesome. Well, Major Brett Parker, uh, boss of the Royal Canadian Air Force Snowbirds Air Demonstration Team. Thank you so much for sharing a little bit of your story and uh, and for sharing um, what you have planned for the for the air show season, uh, this 2022 air show season. I'm, I'm very grateful for your time. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah. Thanks for reaching out. And it was uh, great spending the, you know, a uh, couple hours yeah, together. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. yeah. So uh, yeah, any, any time, uh, any time, any of, any, any of your viewers, anybody who wants to have any questions, like we've open lines of communication, fire them away. Uh, you, you know where to find us. Hopefully everybody knows where to find us, where you're we're always there. So Sweet. let me know if anyone has any questions, but I, I do appreciate every, everything that you've done as well for tonight. So. Uh, well, thank you. The thanks certainly goes to you. You spent a lot of time with me and, and I greatly appreciate it. And I will encourage any of our listeners, if you have questions for Major Parker, uh, please reach out to us at goboldthepodcast at gmail.com and we will uh, we'll collect a bunch and we'll ask him if he's willing to, to share some answers with us. Um, but Major Parker, thank you again so much. Really appreciate the time and looking forward to seeing you uh, at an air show sometime this season. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks very much, Jody. Sweet. Thank you very much. The views and opinions expressed in this presentation are solely those of the participants. This podcast is copyright and all rights are reserved. No portion may be reproduced or used in any manner without the express written permission of the publisher who can be reached at goboldthepodcast at gmail.com. The music on this podcast is Parasail by Silent Partner.